All right, so what we're gonna do today is we're actually gonna zoom out of Ephesians for a little bit. We're, we're just gonna do a one little day break, a zooming out of Ephesians. It was kind of prompted as we left a lot of fruit on the vine that was the few chapters and verses that we've been diving into recently. I felt like the Holy Spirit was kind of leaning on our heart to kind of pull out and then lean into what can be able to make this prayer that Paul prayed at that back half of chapter three, actually something that comes to fruition in our lives. So we're gonna lean in heavy to that today. And the reason I wanna lean into heavy to that today is because of one simple reality. You and me, we have an active enemy against our faith. Now, I know we don't talk about that a whole lot, but there is a real life Satan. There is a real life devil. There is a real life spiritual forces that are at work and against you. And the primary battlefront that where they try to wage their war is in your mind. So we have a real life enemy who is seeking to wage a war and the battlefront that he wages that war on is your mind. He's active. And that adversary, he majors in three things that I believe are his primary sources of us having our minds lose the battle. He majors in these things, noise, busyness, and crowds. Noise, the world is loud. Some of us, man, you can't remember the last time you sought silence. You go to sleep with the TV on, with music on. You have to have earbuds in anytime you're in a car, anytime you're walking, whether it's the noise of actual sounds or it's the noise of data that we put in front of our face. We have to take things to the bathroom with us. We have to do things at all these different places and times because we have to have input all the time. Noise. He no the other thing he majors in is busyness. We have a hard time saying no. We have this prescription, uh, this like clinical grade fear of missing out. We're scared to say no to anything because of what we may miss out. And so we say yes to everything and we become busy, 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 busy. And we think that we're being successful in our busyness, but we're not. And then crowds, what are they doing? What am I not doing? And where it used to be hard to keep up with the Joneses because you had to look over or go to their side of town where they live. Now you can keep up with the Joneses on your phone. You can keep up with Joneses in Zimbabwe. I don't even know if that's a real place. I think it's Zimbabwe. Um, <laughs> you can keep up with whatever Joneses you want to keep up with. All right there. So he majors in these things. And what he knows is he knows that the more he keeps our lives preoccupied with the pursuit of more, more media, more likes, more money, more entertainment, more trophies, more power, more romance, more approval, the less life we will actually have. See, the thing that we fail to realize sometimes about Satan is Satan actually knows God's word better than we do. See, the Bible calls him the author of lies. It calls him the father of lies. And the reason that it can call him that is because he actually does know the truth. See, he knows what Jesus said. Sometimes I believe he knows what Jesus said way better than we know what Jesus said. He knows that Jesus said, if anybody wants to save their life, they will lose it. And so what he does is he purposely tries to get you to think these things of this world, the approval, the likes, the romance, the money, these things are really what make life. And he gets you to pursue these with this relentless pursuit so much so that you miss out on what is real life, the only life that can truly be found by the true author of life, God himself. That's why I believe what uh, the psychiatrist Carl Jung said is absolutely true. When he said, hurry is not of the devil. It is the devil. Any of you hurried? Any of you already thinking about the seven next things you got to do today? See, look around guys. We're busier. We are busier than ever and more distracted than ever. And I don't feel like in a lot of these areas, Satan's really necessarily even trying to hide what his attempts are at our mind and at our life and at our time, especially like my generation down. Just think about how out front and obvious these things are just by the way they get named. How many of you this morning, you looked at a feed, feed, 
something that you ingested that became a source for you or a TikTok. I mean, it's just right out there in the open. They could have named it whatever they wanted to name it. Like we're purposely trying to get you to waste your time. We're gonna come right out, be blatant, be honest. We're gonna call it TikTok. It's gonna waste your time, which is not really time, it's life. These are, these are things that we call reels. Again, it's right out there in the open, just waiting to be found, reeling you in, reeling you away from the life that God has for you, reeling you in to the life Satan wants for you. Shorts, whole goal is to get you to not be able to go long, to not go deep, so that your attention pan is this short, so that your brain would get rewired and you wouldn't be able to think the deep thoughts of God, that you would rather learn a new way to bake muffins, that you would rather learn a, a more convenient way to get people to notice you, that you would be willing to learn that cats are afraid of cucumbers and all the other things that he could get your attention to go to instead of being able to have your mind, Romans 12 two, have your mind transformed, leaving these old patterns of the way the world operates and brought into this new, new way that he operates. And see, Paul, the, the passage that we leaned into last week was this prayer that he prayed because Paul, he explained to them their identity in Christ. He said, this is really who you are, guys. This is your true identity. This is what God has really done for you, in you, and through you. And then he begins to pray this prayer so that then they would be able to leave, live that out in chapters four, five, and six. And there's this prayer right there in the middle of that. And what you find in this prayer, I believe, is the exact opposite antithesis. Satan wants the exact opposite of this prayer for your life. And he's trying to flow in the exact direction that goes against what Paul is praying, not just for the church in Ephesus, but our church here. I want to show you these words. So Paul, this is his prayer for for their church and for our church. And he says, for this reason, and the reason he's talking about there is that the the church, this, this body of believers has been reconciled to Christ. They were now one in Christ. For this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. The whole Trinity showing up here, strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So he's saying, I want there to be this inside out transformation that happens in your life. I'm praying that you get strong on the inside and that the Holy Spirit is the one that does it. Now, this is where I really wanna lean into what we're gonna talk about today. And this is kind of what sprung board me into that. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. He, wanted, he wants to dwell in your hearts. And that's not just, he's, I asked Jesus in my heart and he's just there. That's your heart should be noticeably different because Jesus is there dwelling in my heart through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have, this is what he's praying for, strength to comprehend with all the saints, the breadth, the length, the height and the depth. And to listen to this, this is wild. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So if you aren't catching that right there, he says, I want you to know something you can't know. I want you to know this, this, this love of Christ that it surpasses your ability to know it, but I want you to know it. Which again, Paul's prayers don't even have to make sense, but he's like, I want you to know something that you can't know. And then he goes on, he says, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, I don't know what you want people to say about you at your funeral, but I hope it's something like that. That when they get up, they're not talking about, well, he just loved those Georgia Bulldogs. No, I want, I want my boys, when they're at my funeral, to say, my dad was full of the fullness of God. It was obvious. I wanted, I wanted to say of their mama, she could cook. <laughs> but she, more importantly, she was full of the fullness of God. 
I, I want people to say your kids. I want people to say of you. I want people when they bump into somebody who goes to MCC, be like, man, I don't know. They're kind of weird, but man, like they're full of the fullness of God. Like that's what we want said of us. And so Paul is praying, I want you to be full of the fullness of God. And Satan's whole strategy, what he really wants to happen in your life is he wants to keep every bit of that from happening. He says, I want you to be filled with cat videos. I want you to be filled of of Instagram reels. I want you to be full of feeds. I want you to be on all this other stuff so that your mind becomes hardwired so that you don't want to be filled by Jesus. You don't want to be filled with the fullness of God because you're on the empty calories that the world can provide you. And you miss out on this knowledge of God. And what's wild here, and this, this is, I think is probably the most like heartbreaking thing in this is I don't even know if we want it. Like, I think there's very few people who are like, man, I really want to go into the deeper things of God. Because we can come to a passage like this and some of us, man, you heard me preach a sermon on it last week. We're leaning back in it today. And some of you, you're kind of still sitting there. You're kind of indifferent. And we're kind of cold. And I'm not expecting that God's going to warm your heart over the course of just a, a, you know, a 40 some odd minute message. But I think the Puritan pastor, author, Thomas Watson from the 1600s, albeit, I'm reading a lot more dead guys more recently. Um, I like it better, I'll be honest. Um, Thomas Watson said this, and this is what's gonna take us into what we'll spend the rest of our time leaning into. He says, the reason we may come away so cold from reading the word is because we don't warm ourselves at the fires of meditation. The fires of meditation. Some of you in this room, you're hearing that, and you're like, bro, I don't know what in the world you're talking about. That's okay. But if you've ever found yourself reading God's word and come away like indifferent, you found yourself reading God's word or even praying prayers and you just feel like they're bouncing off the ceiling and not going anywhere. He's, he, he's giving us some insight and some wisdom. He's saying, maybe some of this has happened is because we never take the time to warm ourselves by the fire of meditation. I don't know if you've ever built a fire, like actually built one in the woods, actually built a fire the way they had to in the 1600s. But it ain't fast. You don't just go flip a switch on. He's alluding to something here. And today what we're going to do is zoom out of Ephesians and lean into what in the world is this thing that is meditation. And maybe it's just the missing link that has kept us from having the spiritual lives, from having the physical lives, from having the mental health, from having even the physical health that God is actually destined for us to be able to have so that we can be his living embodiment and presence here on earth. So we're going to talk about meditation. Here's kind of the route we're going to take. First of all, we're going to talk about what is meditation? Why is meditation important? And how to meditate? Today, my confession is I will probably be a little bit more teacher Trent than preacher Trent. Come back next week and I'll yell at you more. Um, First of all, let's talk about what is meditation? First of all, most of us, man, when we think about meditation, we think this, right? We think this, this, is, this is Eastern meditation. And again, I know this is Photoshop because this rock has a slant to it, okay? There's no way, unless she just has some very strong muscles. Like, I, there's no way that you're up there doing that. And most of you, this is why you, meditation is nothing you're ever gonna do. You just like check it right out of your brain because you think that it means I gotta go sit out in the woods, crisscross applesauce and mumble stuff under my breath. And what I'm telling you, that is Eastern, that is Hindu, that is Buddhist meditation, that is not biblical meditation but there is this actual true biblical meditation. And so I wanna kind of start today by talking about what it's not so that we can figure out what it is. It is not this. 
See, Eastern or New Age or even Buddhist meditation is all about detachment. It's about emptying myself. So I'm going to try to sit down, crisscross applesauce, and empty my mind of all the things that are in there. I'm going to get rid of all my thoughts. I'm just going to try to focus on my breathing so that I get into a different brain wavelength so that I'm just kind of one with everything. But Jesus actually said that there is a grave danger in this detachment. He tells a story about detachment and how dangerous it is. It's in Luke eleven twenty four through 26. He talks about a man who had been emptied of evil, but not filled with good. So the goal isn't just to be emptied of evil, it's to be filled with good. In the story, he says, when the unclean spirit, so this guy has unclean spirit in him. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he goes out. And then that unclean spirit, it brings seven other spirits more evil than himself. And they enter and well there, while there, and then the last day, the man becomes worse than he was at first. See, our goal, Christian meditation, is not detachment. Because if I just empty myself, and again, empty myself, I'm setting myself up for all sorts of evil to find its way in. It's not detachment, it's attachment. Attachment to the living word of God. Next thing that meditation is not, and I didn't, wasn't planning on talking about this until I started really doing all this research on this. Um, meditation is not meditations. Let me explain. If you go to YouTube, which is a dangerous place. If you go to YouTube and you just type in Christian meditation, you wanna learn more about it. Like I did this week, you just type in Christian meditation. What you'll find is, is some of the first videos you'll come to is actually like some celebrity pastors, well-known guys that you've probably heard of and known. And there's even apps that are apps for Christian meditation. And you'll come to these. And what it really is, if you click on the video on YouTube or maybe even some of the apps, it's like a nature scene in the background and then some like spa music playing. And then there's this pastor who normally talks like I'm talking, but then he kind of puts on his Barry White impression and goes, welcome in to today's meditation with the Lord. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Even when you sweat, you don't stink as bad as other people. God loves you with all of his heart. Today you will be more than a conqueror. The head and not the tail. Breathe deep in the presence of God. Listen, I can say all that because I've listened to him this week and I was just like, this is stupid. Um, look, that's not Christian meditation. Don't buy that light. You can go listen to one of those and make your blood pressure lower or something, but don't think that this is biblical Christian meditation. All what you're hearing there is you're hearing somebody else meditate on God's word. That's not you meditating on God's word. So Christian meditation is something all different. I would give you this definition. Christian meditation is a spiritual discipline of filling your mind, again, up here, filling my mind with all that God offers through his son, his word, and his world. Those three things, they're particular. That's what Christian meditation is. Now let's camp out on these two words right here. Spiritual discipline. Capital S. Remember, we've talked about this a little bit as we've already been in Ephesians. Spiritual formation has happened to you all the time. Spiritual formation right now is your most atheist, anti-God person. They have spiritual formation happen in their life. The, inter, the inside of them, way they operate is being formed. Their, their mental capacity, it's being formed. Spiritual formation is not just a Christian thing. We have the market though on capital S 
spiritual formation, Holy Spirit transformation. The Holy Spirit of God given to us to transform us into the image and likeness of Christ here with flesh and bone on for the sake of other people seeing the gospel through us. That's spiritual formation. Now, spiritual formation is what we wanna happen and spiritual discipline is what leads to that. Now, the end goal, the present, the, the main thing we're after is us being transformed into the image and likeness of Christ to our family, our friends, and the people that we're all around so that they know Jesus. Spiritual discipline is not what makes the transformation happen. Spiritual formation or spiritual discipline is what puts us in the place so that that transformation can happen. Think about it like this. If I'm upstairs and I know my Christmas presents are downstairs, what do I have to do to go unwrap my Christmas presents? The real thing I want, what do I have to do? I gotta go downstairs, right? Okay, so that is spiritual disciplines, whether it's meditation, prayer, fasting, giving stuff away, practicing gathering together with the local church. All these things are what put me in the place to where I can actually receive and be transformed. They don't transform me, but they put me in the place to where that can happen. And the spiritual discipline of meditation is one where we take our minds, we put them on pause, and we don't try to empty all the stuff out. We say, I'm going to fill my mind with all that God offers through his son, through his word, and through his world. We're gonna take our time today to be able to figure that out. The first time that we actually see meditation show up in scripture, if you got a Bible, you can, you can turn there. It's in the book of Joshua, Joshua 1.18. Meditation is actually God's idea. Uh, God shows up and he kind of reveals this to Joshua. It's one of the first times we really see this on the scene. He shows up and in God himself says this to Joshua. He says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then he says this promise. He says, if you do this, which I love God, when God, when God does this, he makes things simple and he makes them enticing. He says, then you'll be prosperous and successful. Now, again, we're not a health, wealth and prosperity kind of church. Um, but at the end of the day, that's still a good promise, right? Like I don't, in Christ, gospel prosperity, in Christ, gospel success, that's still what I want. I still want my parenting to be successful. I still want my church leadership to be successful. If you work and you're a plumber or an electrician or a school teacher, you still want to do that in a way that's prosperous, that allows the prosperity of our God who has rich in mercy, rich in glory to flow through you. We still want that. And so he says, blessed are you, Joshua, when you meditate on God's word, because you'll be pro uh, uh, prosperous and successful. And like, that's a good promise. This word meditate is the Hebrew word. The first time it shows up in the, in the Hebrew is this word hagah. We can say that together. That's an easy one. It's not like that uh, one I made you say last week. All right, one, two, three, hagah. All right, now we got to say it like we're like meditating. Hagah. <laughs> hagah. Yeah, all right, there you go. Okay, this is kind of what it means. Uh, to murmur uh, in pleasure or anger, uh, to ponder, imagine, meditate, mourn, mutter, speak, study, talk, utter. It, it's kind of this, this all-encompassing all word that really means this quieting of our soul and this contemplative talking, thinking, pondering, chewing even on what is the topic at hand. Another passage that I really think helps us understand what in the world meditation is and the promise that comes from it is Psalm 1. If you got a Bible, go to Psalm 1. Uh, this is a song that David kind of set up at the beginning of the Psalter, which is just the whole book of Psalms. He set it up there at the very beginning to kind of be an introduction. It doesn't really read like a lot of the other Psalms because he wanted to introduce the rest of the Psalms by Psalm 1. And this is what he said in Psalm 1. 
He said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Which if you look at those three, you can kind of see the things that we said our enemy, our adversary actually majors in, kind of bound up in them. And I, one of the things I love about God's word is it always tells you, here's the really stupid way to do things. And here's the really good way to do things. And here's what comes when you do these really good things. Again, sometimes I think we overcomplicate it. So he says, this is the dumb way to do life. And he goes to verse two, but... Don't do that. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. There's our word. He meditates day and night. Now, some of you are seeing that and going, man, you mean I got to like just meditate on Leviticus? Like I just got to go that really boring part of the Bible that says don't eat rabbits. And if you tell somebody's unclean, you got to wash your hands like 14 times. Like I don't even know what all that stuff is about. Like that you're telling me that like the path to like spiritual awakening is to go to the book of Leviticus and just memorize and meditate and think about all those laws. Yes and no. Here's what you need to know. You don't just have the Old Testament now. You have the whole canon of scripture. And what we see when Jesus comes on the scene is Jesus takes what is the law and he brings the law to the fulfillment, right? Jesus comes on the scene and says, I've not come to just abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it. And what he fulfills the law with is love. He fulfills the law with his love. As he says, you could have never met up to the law. I'm gonna, in my love, go give myself away, take the punishment that you lawbreakers deserve so that you can now be in relationship with my father. And so what he's not saying here is for us, we just gotta go read Leviticus 14 times a day and we'll be blessed. What he's saying is take the whole canon of scripture, this 66 page or 66 book love letter written to you by holy God to magnify who he is so that you can see him and it changed you. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. Now he enters into the promise part, which is really good. Again, same thing that he talked about in Joshua. Meditate leads to good things, which again, I'll just throw that out there. It's it's a good thing to know. Psalm 1-3, he meditates on his word and this is what he says he's like. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in the season and its leaf doesn't wither. And all that he does, he prospers. I don't know about you, but I want that for my life. I think there are four primary promises that are laid out right here in this passage that God promises to the man or woman of God who's willing to meditate and delight and find joy in the law that is love that is laid out in the Bible. The first thing he promises is that you're a tree, which of all the other things that you could be in God's word, a tree is a good one. A tree opposed to chaff. And we talk about the plants that you kind of, we get referred to as in scripture, there's, there's a tree and there's chaff. Chaff is a part of the wheat, the little kernel of the wheat, if you've ever seen it, it's this little husk-like thing that's on the outside that you have to separate so you can actually get the part that you can actually use for good. And he says, you're not like that. You're not just this outer shell concerned with what's on the outside. You're a tree. You have density to you. You have an inside that matters. If you think about a tree, the outside of the tree is actually the least most important part. It's the inside of the tree that actually allows it to have life. And he says, this is what you are. You're a person of substance instead of hollowness. Next thing is for those who meditate is a promise to become a person of stability, which I don't know about you, but like, in a world that's very instable right now, stock market that's very instable, to know that through meditating on the word of God, I can become someone who has stability in my life. 
rather than being controlled and blown about by whatever circumstance happened, that I, through meditation on God's word, can become somebody that even when the good things happen, because we've seen this, right? Sometimes people have good things. They come into some money, they come into a great relationship, they finally get into that relationship, and then what happens, right? They go crazy. It's not just bad things that blow people to and fro. It's good things too. But what he's saying here is no matter if it's good or bad, if you meditate on God's word, it gives you root and it gives you grounding so that you're actually stable. The next thing is it promises that your roots are actually near a stream, which means you have direct access to a God that makes you stable. See, a lot of times we think, Joy is just the absence of trouble. See, joy is not the absence of trouble. Joy is the presence of God. So that I could be in the most crazy, wild of situations, but if I know that I am planted beside the streams of water, that that actually is a place where I can experience joy, not because of what may be going on around me, but because of what I am connected into his presence. This means that when all the water has dried up, I'm still connected to a source. When all other Sources of light have gone dark in my life. I am still connected to the source of life. And the next promise it gives, the fourth promise it gives is growth. Growth even in seasons that are fruitless. Look what it says. He's planted by streams of water, yields fruit in its season. So a lot of times we can look at a a fruit tree and when a fruit tree is not in season, what we say? Oh, it ain't growing nothing. Look, some of you right now, your life is not fruitful. But that does not mean you're not growing. That tree that's planted beside the the water, even when it doesn't have fruit on it, it is still growing. It has a a fruitful season. And this is what we don't understand. We want every season of our life to be fruitful. Some of you, listen, your 20s are not gonna be fruitful. Some of you are gonna have fruitful 20s. Some of you, your 40s, not gonna be fruitful. Some of your 50s though, you're gonna be incredibly fruitful. There are seasons to life. And those who meditate on God's word don't panic when they go through a barren season because they know where their roots go down to. And you don't get to that unless you're meditating on God's word and putting that inside of you to get to the place where you actually know that is where you go down to. So that's what meditation is. Let's talk about why meditation is important. The number one reason why I would say meditation is important and um, It sounds simplistic to say, but meditation is important because it's where our heart hears from God. Now, again, I said heart hears from God. Meditation is not you just sitting still, quiet in a room, waiting on God to audibly go, amen. (laughs) I got a plan for you. You ready? Get your pen and paper out. Like maybe God will do that to you. I've been following Jesus for for a decent amount of time. I've definitely seen him speak to me. I've heard him speak to me. Um, It has not yet been the audible voice of God. Now I've heard him speak audibly through other people to me that I knew there's no way that anybody else could know what they just know that they just said to me that had to be God speaking in and through them. I've seen that happen for sure. But audibly like me in my prayer time, God going, what's up Trent? Like I have not seen that happen yet. I want it to happen. I, I beg God to do that sometimes in the moments of pain where I just wish he would say something so I would know he's there. I've been there for sure, but I have not seen that be the case. But meditation is where our heart hears from God. And we have to hear from him. We want to hear from him. And a lot of times we think about that as prayer. What I want to talk to you today is the difference between two types of prayer. See, there's calling prayer and then there's answering prayer. And most of us in our entire life walks with God, 
this is the only type of prayers we pray. Now, don't hear me. You're not a bad person for doing this. God is a good father and he wants you to call on him. He would know that there is a discrepancy or something bad in your relationship if you weren't calling. The same way that I would know if my boys weren't calling on me when they were hurt, well, there's something wrong there. They have a mis, um, misunderstanding of the type of father that I am for not calling on me when they're hurt. And calling prayers are, is just, God, we're, we're in debt. I don't know, like everything is more expensive. I don't know how I'm gonna put, keep putting food on the table. That's a calling prayer. God, I got a prodigal kid. I, I just need you to bring him back in. God, I'm, I'm anxious, I'm nervous. Uh, I need your help in this situation. Those are calling prayers. And God loves to hear those calling prayers. But I think calling prayer is just kind of one side of the coin. There's also answering prayer. This is where you come into a Bible verse that says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And you answer back to God. Why do I struggle so much with my self-image then? God, if I'm really am fearfully and wonderfully made, why do, I, why do I worry about whose attention that I'm getting? It's where you have an encounter with the word of God and you answer. That's why it's called answering prayer. It's where you answer back. And again, the best place for this to happen is actually in the context of reading God's word and then seeing it, having that encounter and then speaking back to him. Answering prayer is where you have your own burning bush moment with God, where he speaks to you through that thing and you go, who are you? What are you? What are you calling me to do? This is answering prayer because it is contingent on the word of God speaking into you. See, most of our prayer lives, they kind of look like this. And again, you're not a bad person if this is the way you pray. I'm just trying to say that there is a missing link for many of us in our walk with Christ. And this whole prayer that Paul prayed about being filled with the fullness of God and knowing the unknowable, I think the missing link in some of that is not the fact, because people are reading their word and people are praying, but sometimes we still feel cold and sometimes there's no change that's happening. I think there's a missing link and this meditation thing is it because most of us, this is our Devo time. This is our time with Jesus. We read the Bible, we come to a passage, read a few verses, read one verse. We, we may read a chapter if we're feeling good that day and we ain't got stuff to get to. We read that and then we close it. Boop, and then we think about all the things we gotta pray about. God, uh, just be with Sister Susan and she's got that toe thing and I just pray you help that thing and, and um, be with my kids and protect them. And, and, which are all, again, good things. Even the, prayer, and even the toe thing. God cares about all the little unique intricacies of your life. Pray those things. But I think we're leaving things on the table. We're not warming ourselves by the fire of meditation. I would challenge you to not look at your um, communion with God as a two-step process of read the Bible, pray. I would encourage you to put it more linear and let it all be one big thing. If I'm gonna read the word, I'm gonna meditate on the word, and I'm gonna pray the word. I'm gonna read the word, I'm gonna meditate, and I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna read this. I'm gonna come into this encounter with this word of God and, and just let it be able to speak to me and, and, and take it for the original context, see what it means, see where it's at. And then I'm gonna to begin to meditate. I'm gonna to begin to chew on this and say, what did that word mean? What would that look like in my life? Come to God's word and ask yourself this big scary question of, if this is true, what should I be doing? And then based off of what you meditated on, you begin to pray to that father. Hey, God, I, I realize there's a gap between where my life is and what I just read. Would you shrink that gap for me? God, would you reveal to me any ways where I'm falling? God, I'm going to just give you a moment to just speak right now. I'm listening. Your servant is listening. Would you speak to me? See, I think this is, this is a difference that many of us are missing out on. So you can, you can read God's word and you can pray God's word right back to him. The Holy Spirit is there to interpret this. Now, some of you are here and like, you're like, man, I just still think I'm going to be really bad at meditation. 
Let me ask you this. How many of you would be willing to raise your hand today in the presence of many witnesses and say that you are pretty good at worrying? Anybody? Pretty good at worrying. Okay. Listen, if you're good at worrying, you're good at meditating. You've just been doing it in the wrong direction. (laughs) Yeah, right. It's all the same stuff. Like you sitting up at night and thinking about all the different scenarios of what's going to happen at work tomorrow. That's meditation. It's just Satan taking you down a rabbit hole that you don't need to go down on. Instead of taking God's word, God's power, God's truth and meditating on it. I remember when Jessica would write me a a love note. Yeah, all right, all right. She'd write me a a love note, man, when we were in ninth grade. Started dating in ninth grade, been together ever since. Um, I mean, I'd get one of those things. I'd meditate on that. I'd pick it apart every single word. Oh, what'd she mean by that? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. You know. You, you, You know what I'm talking about. You've been there. And it's the same thing, guys. Another reason why uh, meditation is so important, and again, this sounds so simple, but God really wants to talk to you. You, you hear me talk a lot about God as a father, and I can't help that. I, I'm a kid with a father wound, and so a lot of times I, I speak about God in those terms and, and out of those things, and, and we, punt, we, we bang that drum really heavy around MCC that God's a loving father, then he cares for you. But what kind of father would be there and not really want to hear from his kids and not really want to talk to his kids. Like if he's really a good father, then he desires to talk to you. You specifically, you're one of his kids. If you're in Christ, you're one of his kids. You've been adopted, predestined for that adoption and you're one of his family. So he really wants to talk to you. The problem with our culture is though, and it's a huge problem. Most of us, we would rather listen to someone God talks to as they talk to us. We would rather listen to someone that God talks to and have them just talk to us. And this isn't a, this isn't a, uh, a new problem. It goes all the way back to the Israelites. They were talking to Moses. They said this to him. Exodus 20, 19, this is the people, the Israelite people who knew they were God's people, who knew they were chosen by God, God's children, the Israelites. And they say to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us lest we die. They're like, Moses, you go up the mountain. We don't want any part of that. Too risky. And what's happening here is they're doing their best to maintain their religion while abdicating the risk that is inherently coming with being part of a nation that has a God like God. They said, no, 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 no. We want to stay religious, but we don't want to risk it. And guys, man, I I, I see this all around our culture where where we'd we'd rather listen to a podcast from a man or a woman of God who's gone up the mountain than go up ourselves. We'd rather read a book by somebody who's gone up the mountain to meet with God and to hear from him than hear from him ourselves. You'd rather maybe even come to church and hear from a pastor who's gone up the mountain than go and talk to him ourselves. We don't want to risk it. And the reason I say it's risky is because, man, you start talking to God and that excuse that you've let be the undercurrent of your whole entire life. Well, my parents just didn't do X. Or I just runs in my family. 
You start talking to God and he'll kill that excuse. You start talking to God, and man, it's risky. You start talking to God, and that person at work gets on your last nerves, they'll be at your house next Thursday eating dinner with you. It's risky. I'm not saying having a boat or a beach house is necessarily a bad thing, but if you want to keep it, a safe bet is to not talk to God about it. Just pretend like it doesn't exist. Don't mention it. If you start talking to God about it, who knows what might happen? And what what I'm saying here is imagine if we were a church full of people who are willing to risk going up the mountain. If we were people who weren't afraid what God would say when we got up there. Imagine what he may do amongst us if we were were the type of people who realized that the person on top of the mountain said, if you want to save your life, you've got to be willing to risk losing it. I'm up here. Trust me, the life you'll find in me is better than anything you'll let go of. And even, again, I'll quote him here. He said, anything that you release, anything that you let go of in this life, prepare to be repaid a hundredfold in the age that is to come. I mean, it's willing to risk. It's willing to risk. So what I would say is, go up the mountain. Don't be afraid to go up the mountain. Last reason why I would say it's really important for us to pray, it goes back into that whole like Eastern side of things, is so that we can be filled with the fullness of God. Oftentimes we think about our spiritual lives like maybe a cup, like I'm a cup, you know, we say things like I'm a cup runneth over and, and those types of things, which yeah, those are good things, that's, that's good. But oftentimes we think, and this is where Eastern stuff and, and new age stuff kind of creeps into our mind. We think like, I've got bad stuff inside of me. Maybe there's like coffee and it's hey, about halfway full of coffee. And I got this bad stuff inside of me. And if I'm going to come to Christ, I've got to pour all this out, right? I got to get all this stuff out. You know, I got to dump it, get it all out of here. But how many of you have done that before? <laughs> Only to like come back the next day and you're like, dang, how'd they get back in there? <laughs> what happened? See, I, I do think there is power in releasing things to God. But what I've seen actually in my life and people around me who are practicing spiritual disciplines actually be what begins to happen is being less concerned with just dumping all of this out and actually being more concerned with filling it back up. That's why Eastern, Eastern meditation is different than Christian meditation. Christian meditation says, no, 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 no. I'm gonna just be filled up. I'm not gonna be concerned about pouring it out the right way or saying the specific thing to get it out or going to this conference so that I can get over this one thing. It says, I'm I'm going to meditate on the word of God. Let that fill me up. The pure living fountain that is God's word. Fill me up. Because think about it like this. If I had a gallon jug of water right here and this cup of coffee was filled halfway up with coffee. If I had a gallon jug of water and I just started, I don't have to pour it out before I pour this in. If I just take my gallon jug of the fountain that is the living water of Jesus through his word, and I just start pouring it in here. I don't even have to get to halfway empty of the jug before this cup is completely filled with what? Water, pure living water. So that when somebody bumps into me in traffic at McDonald's, you know what comes out? Not vile, toxic coffee. Living water comes out. Lord bless them and keep them. Mm. When somebody calls you out of the blue and you've already had a long day 
and you're the only source of spiritual influence in their life and they call you and they've got just some drama happening in their life. They're in a crisis moment and you've already just like, you're ready to kick your feet. You were ready to put on your comfy pants and just sit at home. And this person calls you and they need to talk to you and they need you to walk. And you know, you're getting ready to put your pastoral counseling hat on to this person because you're the only spiritual person they know. You're the only person they've ever saw pray at lunch. You're the only person they know who has any sort of faith or goes to any sort of church. When they demand you to pour yourself out to them, friend, you want to make sure that what you're pouring out to them is a direct result of the fact that you've been filled up with God through private, personal meditation. And look, that's where it happens. I think that's why so many people get turned off of Christianity that aren't Christians yet. It's like they came to a Christian trying to get something. They just dumped hot coffee on their face and like, no thanks. So as we wrap up, I want to talk to you about how. How? How we do this. First of all, you have to take the time. Take the time. I said take because you will never have enough time and you cannot make time. Time is just out there. You have to take it. And I would say this taking is ferocious. There's a tenacity to the taking of this time. There is a tenacity to you guarding this time. There's this passage in Isaiah 31.4. Check this out. Isaiah 31.4. For thus the Lord said to me, he's talking to the prophet Isaiah. He says, as a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, so the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on his hill. He's talking about God fighting for the people. And he's doing it as a lion or a young lion growls over his prey. Now, you read this in your just regular good old-fashioned Bible, and you don't know that that word growl you know what that word is in Hebrew? Hagah. That's the word for meditate. It's used here too. And I think the Holy Spirit is up to something. It's trying to explain to us, like think about your own dog at your house. If you're, the, the, you love petting your dog and some of you weirdos let it lick you, your mouth and all other stuff. Um, but when's the one time you know it's probably a bad idea to go pet, up, pet your dog? When he's eating, right? So I think this is what God's trying to reveal to us. And this is why I think the Holy Spirit inspired um, the, the word to be written right there as the same word that we get for meditate is because in the same way, I'm a dog or a lion. I'm getting, you're not gonna walk up to a lion who's just munching on an antelope and be like, hey, lion. First of all, you're not gonna go up any lion, but you're definitely not gonna go up to a lion while it's eating. Even lions know not to mess with lions while they're eating. And that I think is what God is saying about us. He's saying, You've got to be dogged about protecting this deep, intimate relationship that we have. Either you can chew and meditate and allow my word to permeate into your inmost being, or the world is going to eat you alive. You will starve to death. You'll be weak against all attacks from the enemy. So how do we do this? There's a few different ways as far as how. I would say quieting yourself, finding a quiet, calm place to just be away with God, taking a passage of scripture, beginning to ask questions. There's a couple of places in the Psalms where we get a, a clue into, I think, what David was talking about as far as meditation goes. Psalm 42, he says words like, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Psalm 103, he says, don't forget the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Is he talking to God right there? No, who's he talking to? Himself. 
See, what David is saying is that true meditation is kind of grabbing your soul by the collar and pulling yourself in real close and going, hey, praise God. And I'm sorry if I put these in terms that only me as a male can understand, but like that's, that's like, that's what meditating on God's word I believe is sometimes of going, no, 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 no. I can't wait till Trent comes in on Sunday to preach to me. I've got to get in God's word and begin to preach to myself on these truths. I'm going to answer back to God. I'm going to answer back even to my own soul to say, no, 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 no. You're not, you have a father, son. Quit living like, so there isn't somebody who provides and protects you. Quit living like you don't have the source of all truth right at your fingertips. Lean in. Don't be downcast, soul. Lift your head up. We will praise God. He will come through. This is this, this meditation that he's after. He invites us into. And there's one specific way I want to lean into, uh, and we're going to actually practice here as we go into communion. But before I do, I'll just the one last truth on how. Um, the only way you'll ever get good at meditating is by meditating. You can't listen to a sermon and get better. You can't read a book and get better. You just got to do it. Okay, so I, I'm not going to spend a ton of time like, here's all the 20 tips to how to meditate better. Um, if you have a heart to commune with God and you've understood what it is and why it's important, everything in you will go, I'll figure it out. I'm willing to risk having a few duds. And don't get discouraged. Man, you, go, you may go try this a couple of times and it may be duds. Don't get discouraged. God will meet you even in those moments and he'll be there with you. Today I'm going to, allow us to go through communion in a little different way. And we're going to end our service today with this as we go into a time of communion. But we're going to practice something that actually a uh, monastic tradition called Lectio Divina. Actually means divine reading. And it's this practice where you take just a passage of scripture. And again, our, our purpose here is uh, there is Hear me, there's fully a time and place for exegesis of being able to take and pick apart and all the Greek words and all those different things and understand the original context and all that type of stuff. But that's not what this is right here. You have to do that. I think that actually needs to happen before you enter into this so you actually know what's saying. So it's not, it's not thinking that you're about to get, you know, uh, jet skis and, and a new boat, like actually what God's word is talking to you about. But this is about coming to a place where this truth becomes your reality. And it takes a, a little chunk. Again, I, I think meditating on God's word is best done in, in smaller packages. Think about it like a, a Werther's original. Anybody ever been at church and an old man just flips you one of them Werther's originals? All right. You want to just chomp down on it, but you just leave it in there. You savor it. You don't jump to chewing on it and digesting it. You savor what it is. Electio Divina is what I believe does that. It's this, this practice of reading the word, praying, meditating, inviting, and then going into action. The passage that we're gonna do this on is one that is actually written to believers. A lot of people think this is, oh, this, that's, that's Jesus is standing at the door of the non-Christian's heart. And he's knocking on the door, just let him into your heart. No, this, this is in Revelation written to the churches. This is to us if you're in Christ. Remember, we started all this stuff talking about Christ dwelling in our hearts. See, he wants to come in. See, I'm standing here ready. I, I want to dwell in your heart. I want your heart to be my home. And in this passage, he said these words, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him 
and he with me. So the way this is going to work is go ahead and grab your communion. If you don't have it, please go get it. I'm going to read this one more time. I'm going to pray and invite you to pray and have your own conversation, deep conversation with God. And then what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit is going to start drawing a few different even words or phrases out of this text into your heart. You eat with me. It's going to stand out to some of you. Knock. Different words and phrases that are going to begin to stand out. And don't get weirded out by this. Don't turn this off. But trust me, God wants to talk to you, not just to hear from you. And he'll do it through his word. Some things are going to begin to come to your attention. And as they do, start to chew. Chew on them. Think on them. Allow them to penetrate your head and get into your heart. And after you've given some time to pray and process through that, I would say, after you've given yourself some time to mentally chew on that, I would say, take communion and physically chew on that. And as you swallow, there in silence, listen, don't say a word and give your father, give his son, give the spirit room to speak just listen. If you need to close your eyes, that's a good recommendation. And then after a little bit of time, you ask yourself this really risky, but really holy question of Father, if what you were just revealed to me is true, what do you want me to do? Let's enter into a time where we actually get to meditate together as a church. I'm going to read this We'll leave it up here, pray over you, and then give you time to pray yourself. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him, and he with me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in to her and eat with her and her with me. Jesus, speak to us now as we eat with you.
and invite you into a time now where you just sit in silence and let him speak. you to ask the holy yet risky question of if this is true father what should I do Jesus, we thank you for meeting with us and eating with us today. We give you free range, Lord, to come into our hearts. We unlock all the locks that we've had on the door of our heart, invite you in. You have free range, Jesus, to rearrange whatever you need to in there. We give you freedom, Jesus, to remove whatever you need to set up new house rules because you are a king, the king of our hearts now. Help us to know that communion doesn't just happen on Sundays, Jesus, but you long to commune with us every day, every hour, to be with us, in us, and through us to a world who has an open invitation and a seat at the table if they so choose to sit in Christ forevermore. Amen. Church, it was an honor to lead you hopefully to an encounter with the living God today. If you're joining us at Connecting Point, I can't wait to get around a table with you. For everybody else, go out, be the hands and feet of Jesus. We love you. See you back next week.